We don't subscribe to the old school way, nor the new school way, only the optimal way. The 80-20 Baseball Experience with Coach Bo. Welcome, everybody. This is Coach Bo with the 80-20 Baseball Podcast. Thank you for being here. Episode 55. Let's get into it. Catching tips. Part one, we're going to talk about catching tips. Okay, so catchers are typically one or two or three players on a team. And since it's one position, it's hard to do a mass rep training drill for catchers. But this can be facilitated using a couple of strategies throughout practice. First and foremost, catchers. When catchers are throwing in their throwing routine, their pre-practice, their early practice, their beginning of practice throwing routine, if that's when you do it, what I call a throwing program. Some coaches call it a throwing routine. And a lot of coaches just go out there and have their players throw with no intent, no focus. It's just to get their arms loose. You should not be throwing to get your arms loose. You warm up to throw. You do not throw to warm up. Coaches, your team should not be throwing throwing a baseball. They should not be playing catch to warm up. They should already be loose. They should have already gone through a dynamic warm up, including the shoulders and arms and lat, etc. The throwing routine, or as I call it, the throwing program, usually takes place at the beginning of practice or near the beginning of practice because you need an arm that's ready to throw for various drills. Even offensive drills typically will have a defense playing a part in them. It is important to have the arms loose, but it's important also while you're throwing in your throwing routine to make those throws as position specific, as position specific as possible. For example, I believe once the catcher's arm is warmed up, once the catcher is loose, in the throwing program with their partner. So they have their partner out in front of them. Typically, this is done on the foul line with one of the partners on the foul line and the other partner moving his way out into the outfield as they stretch out the throws. Now, with catchers, it is very important and with any position, in fact, we're going to get into this a little bit more as this preseason time of year starts to rev up. You're throwing a little bit more. You're really focusing on getting the most out of your throwing program with your team or if you're a player listening to this, you should be getting the most out of your throwing routine and for catchers this means every other throw or at a minimum every third throw you'll start with the ball in your glove out in front like you just caught a pitch or just received the pitch and then you're going to fire up get your feet set and fire off that ball to your partner preferably aiming for their belt now there's another option for this another way of doing it and that is to have the catcher receive the throw from their partner coming in and then coming up and firing it out to their partner or back to their partner as if they're throwing a ball down to second base for a runner stealing. So what you're doing here is you're repping, you're repping your throwdowns, your throwdowns to second. You can obviously design a drill around this, and that's not a bad idea, especially if you can break your outfielders up into hitting groups or run some kind of defensive outfield drill simultaneously, or even have your outfielders working on base running. You can have your outfielders out there backing up bases. I think that's a waste of time. I think in the games and in scrimmages, you look for this, and if the guys aren't backing up and they're not hustling, then they should be removed from the game. But in practice, I think they should be getting reps on other things outside of scrimmages. In scrimmages, yes, they're backing up everything. But in a drill, I don't think it's worth the time to have your outfielders out there while your catchers are throwing down to the bases. So you can definitely have that drill. And in fact, I recommend having your catchers throw to bases on the field within a high rep drill. You got a coach not a pitcher. You have a coach just throwing and throwing and throwing to the catcher as quickly as you can. You have multiple catchers and you're going to have them fire off 
quality throws to each base, but you're going through the reps quick. Although you do not want to sacrifice quality, but you don't want to necessarily rely on your pitching staff to do it because they're going to dilly dally as a coach. You can fire it in there. And also when you have the catcher drill going and they're throwing down the bases, you want to mix it up. I would do one to first base, two throws the second base and one throw to third base, kind of a one to one ratio, because that's typically how it's going to be in the game. If not a one, three, one ratio. And that may be even better. One throw to first base, three throws to second base, one throw to third base. I would rotate catchers, but I wouldn't rotate them every throw. I would have them do maybe three throws or two throws or four throws and then rotate out while the next catcher comes in. You could even step up this drill and have two catchers going simultaneously with two coaches pitching. One of the catchers is throwing to second and third base and one of the catchers is throwing to first base. Coaches, you could even run a drill where you have three catchers throwing simultaneously. One to first base, one to second base, one to third base. I like to have one catcher going at a time if possible. If you don't have like four catchers, if you have one or two or three catchers, typically you're going to have two or three catchers. I like to have them go one at a time and then I like to move through those quick, but I also like to yell out the base that they're throwing to as the pitch is coming. I like them to think. So as the pitch is coming, as it's about halfway there, yell out one, yell out two, yell out three, or yell out first, second, third. Keep them spontaneously moving and thinking quickly. They don't know which runner is going to be. They may be a double steal. Which runner are you going to throw? The guy who gets the worst jump, the better jump is probably the guy you want to avoid. If there's a ball in the dirt, you block it. One guy got a good read, one guy didn't. So you're not always going to know what base the throw is going to before the pitch. Now, a lot of times you are, but I like that little twist on it to make catchers think quickly. I think you could do it two different ways. You have one catcher behind home plate and he can throw to any of the bases. You yell it out as the ball is halfway to the plate. The other way you could do it with like two catchers or three catchers and you're just working on reps to the bases. Now you have your infielders obviously catching and putting a quality tag on. And lastly, the pitcher are going to throw all their pitches. And in fact, I would actually throw all the pitches and maybe not even tell the catcher what pitch is coming. So as long as you don't have a knee buckling bender or you're throwing at 100 miles an hour, you can mess around with them. You can throw a fastball, curveball, and a changeup and then mix it up and not really tell them so they can't be out in front. If it's a changeup, they got to sit back a little bit. If it's a breaking ball, they got to play that drop and they got to catch it and they got to get rid of it quick. And what you're doing is just, it's all about getting rid of it quickly. They will, the catchers will, in my opinion, from my experience, the catchers, unless are just super sloppy will find a way to release and get rid of it and make the throws quickly. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to teach them up, coach them up a little bit, but you want to get high reps. You want them to go quick and you want quality throws to the bases. So you can do that to maximize outside of drills and something that should be done at every single practice. We're going to go back to this throwing routine, this throwing program. This should be done at every single practice and before every single game. This is how you max out the amount of throws that catchers can get that are game-like. Every second or third throw with their partner, I prefer every second throw with their partner, they are going to start with the ball in their glove, like we talked about, and they're going to fire up and release it just as though somebody's stealing on them. Or you could also have them set the ball on the ground, left, right, or in front of them and pick it up and fire it. So they catch the ball from their partner. They drop down to it on their knees like they just blocked it. They put the ball out in front of them. They hop up and get rid of it. You are getting so many reps. Catching movement is quick. The footwork needs to be quick and efficient and you get better, the catchers are going to get better by repping this. So as you can see where my mind is going with these drills, you can also have the catcher throw it back to their teammate off of the throw that came in from their teammate as if it were the pitch. This is ideal. 
I would have a catcher and a pitcher partner up, not catchers. I know some coaches like to match up all their positions by position. Now, I think this isn't a bad idea for middle infielders and outfielders and things like that, but I would actually match up a catcher with a pitcher just so it just gives them more reps of seeing that pitcher, more reps of seeing the pitcher's spin, the pitcher's movement, the run, the tail, the firmness, the break, the changeup, because your pitcher should be throwing their changeups and their fastballs, the variety if they have two, the four, and the two seam fastballs during the throwing program also. So I would match up my catchers with a pitcher. So if you have three catchers, there you go. Match them up with maybe your main three pitchers or the pitchers that get the most innings. And essentially, you are having your catchers rep out game-like throws during their throwing routine. No more of this step and throw. No more of this catch, uh, chatter a little, and then throw. Throwing routines are an opportune time to get a lot of quality game-like reps in. Now, we can take this even one step further. Creativity, but not getting too carried away. Make sure we're maximizing the 80-20. What are the main throws? What are the main things? Catchers are going to catch and throw more than they are going to block and throw. Not every game, but over the course of the season, they're going to catch and throw a pitch more than they are going to block and throw there's going to be more stolen bases than ball and dirt guys taking advantage of that. But they both happen. So you might want to mix it up. Maybe you have them throw two throws to their partner as if it's a steal situation or if the runner got a steal jump. And then you do one for every two of those. You do one of those where you have the catcher put the ball out in front of them a little left, right, a little further, maybe right there. They're on their knees blocking it or however you have them block it. And then they fire up, pick up the ball, obviously not going to the glove. They're going to palm it, grab it with their hand and fire it off to their partner. Now there's one more caveat or one more little thing you can do to this to make it even more game-like. First base and third base are not the same direction as second base. Second base obviously is directly in front of the catcher. It's straight in front of the catcher. But first base and third base are not obviously right in front of the catcher. They're at 45 degree angles. So to keep this game-like in the throwing routine, the throwing program, to keep this game-like as your catchers are mimicking game-like throws, you simply have them catch the ball from their teammate, from their partner, put the ball in the glove. Notice most players are going to want to start with the ball in their hand. So they're going to start with the ball in their glove, not in their hand, because they do not catch 99.999% of throws with their hand. They catch it with their glove. So have them start with the ball in their glove. And then for those throws to first base and third base, you'll have them tilt their angle. Their body position will not necessarily tilt, but will shift. So they create a 45 degree angle to their partner. And that may be 45 degrees to the right, which will mimic a throw to third base, or it'll be 45 degree shift or movement to their left, a 45 degree setup to their left, which will then mimic the throw to first base. You see where I'm going with that, coaches? I know that's a lot just for catchers, just for one drill plus their throwing routine, but this kind of thinking is what gets your team exponentially better. Again, I'm not adding a massive amount of drills. I'm not adding a bunch of extra stuff. In fact, none of this would really take that much more time. In fact, it's all about efficiency, but if you want to be efficient, and efficiency is the name, quality repetitions is the name of the game, in my opinion. It's the biggest game changer outside of the mental game. But even then, you could say, well, I'll tell you what, if you get quality reps and it's you don't even have to think about the quality reps and you, you eliminate a lot of the mental game issues also, but that's another time and another place. I think the mental game is overrated in my opinion. I'm a huge fan of the mental game, but I think it's this, you solve the mental game, you solve everything. I'll tell you what solves the mental game, being really good. Now, of course, you do need to have some mental game strategies. Of course, I think that's important, but quality repetitions is paramount. And what 
not better way to get quality repetitions than already build them into things that you're already doing. The throwing routine, the throwing program is something that almost every team already does. Why not take it up a level and make those throws more game-like? And as you can see, we can definitely take this and use it in every single position, infielders, outfielders, and of course, pitchers. So I had a question from a coach just the other day and it was a great question. Coach, how do I allocate and how much time should I allocate to training my catchers? And the first thing I would do is try to find ways to get catchers better within the confines of your already designed practice routine. One of them is what we just talked about when it comes to the throwing routine, the throwing program, adding in those game-like throws, especially as the catcher and his teammate and his partner, preferably a pitcher, gets further apart. Get them out to 90, 100 feet, 120 feet, 150 feet, and let them mimic like they're throwing the ball down to second base, first base, and third base. Quick release. None of this slow, shuffle, shuffle, step and throw stuff. None of that. In fact, that shouldn't happen. That's so dated. That's one of the things I don't understand. One of the most dated, outdated, suboptimal, inefficient parts of baseball. And there's a lot of them when it comes to the training out there in baseball. And this is why I do this podcast, because I just saw after 35 years, I go, even these top coaches are wasting a lot of time and wasting a lot of opportunity to get better. The throwing routine should be something, the throwing program should be something that is a time when players are getting better in game-like ways, not just warming up their arm. The arm should already be warmed up before they start their throwing program. And secondly, their throwing program should involve throws that they're going to make in the game. How many throws that matter does a catcher make where they catch the ball, shuffle, shuffle, pump, pump, throw? None! Because the runner's going to be safe every time. When catchers need to make throws that matter, it's going to be quick. Their footwork needs to be quick. Their transfer of the ball from the glove to the hand needs to be quick and their throw needs to be accurate. Their arm needs to be efficient. Their arm path needs to be efficient. You need to train this. Then I have the drill that I really like using and that is having the catchers out there with infielders and a coach pitching or multiple catchers with multiple coaches throwing and have your infielders at their bases and having them do massive quality reps for 10 to 15 minutes and they should get a lot of quality throws to all the bases in that amount of time. All right, lastly, bullpens. Pitchers need to practice pitching. The catchers are there to help them, right? So they're there to help catch. The catchers are getting now to the main thing that they do and that is receiving and blocking. So you took care of the throwing with that drill and more importantly, during the throwing program. Now during bullpens, they are working on framing. They are working on blocking and they are working on catching and popping up and setting their feet and getting their arm up high and ready to throw. Notice how I said ready to throw. In bullpens with the catcher being close to the pitcher and the pitcher only being say 45, 55 feet away, 60 feet, six inches at most, you're not gonna have your catcher just hum it back to him. Plus it doesn't mimic the game where the second base is first further out there, 127 and some change on the 90 foot diamonds and whatnot. But you can definitely require your catchers to fire up and be ready to go, arm in a throwing position, ready to go, ready to throw. You can require them to do that on every other throw or maybe every third throw. Catchers should be required in bullpens at all times to have their gear on and to be blocking every single ball that's in the dirt. And they need to block it game-like. If they don't, you bear crawl. Maybe you bear crawl the whole team. I would definitely bear crawl at least the catcher. They should be working on framing. They should be working on setting up. They should be working on blocking. And then they should be in bullpens. In the bullpen sessions, are they're not just for pitchers. They're not just supposed to be for pitchers to get better. This is the opportune time for catchers to get better. They should, the last part would be to catch, receive, and then fire up, get that footwork down where they can fire up, get their feet under them, and be ready to fire off a throw. So to wrap up, the catchers should utilize the throwing routine to get better at getting 
picking off quick throws. They should also use bullpens to get better at framing, blocking, and firing off good throws and also setting up and their positioning. Lastly, I do recommend doing a few drills, not very often, but a few drills that actually have the catcher on the main diamond firing off throws to the bases. You don't need runners on this. You want them to throw the ball. They're going to throw, catchers should be throwing the ball as fast as they can down to the bases. Their pop time shouldn't be like a 1.4 just because there's a slow runner and a 1.1 because there's a fast runner. Their pop time should be as efficient and effective and as quality as possible. They should always be training to go as fast as they can insofar as that they can complete a quality movement, a quality rep. Now, for those of you that don't know what a pop time is, and many of you may not know what a pop time is, a pop time is simply the time from when the ball hits the catcher's glove on the pitch to the time that hits the middle infielder's glove at second base on the throwdown or the third baseman or first baseman's gloves if they're throwing to those bases. Pop time is simply how quick can they catch it and get it to the base. And before we move on, I do have one more drill that I do like. When your base runners are working on ball in the dirt jumps, you have your base runners working on getting a good jump on balls in the dirt. I recommend you have a coach on the mound with a big bucket or two big buckets of balls and have a catcher, one of your catchers at home plate, and he's working on blocking the ball, blocking pitches. And what your runners are doing, they should be at every single base. And we're going to talk about this drill. I've talked about it before. You'd have a runner at every base and they're reading the throw. They're reading the throw. If the ball's in the dirt, gets away from the catcher, you can move up. Now, in a few weeks, I'm going to actually talk about this drill. I'm going to break down this drill. It's a fantastic drill for base runners getting good reads on balls in the dirt to, to really get a good jump on those balls that hit bounce in the dirt or get away from the catcher. But it also is great training for the catcher. It's a lot of blocking for a catcher in a short amount of time. To get catchers better, you don't really need to allocate specific time to catchers that often. You definitely do. And if you can, if you have a catching coach, that's awesome. That's icing on the cake. But you don't need to allocate a lot of time to catching because they should be getting better in bullpens. They should be getting better during the throwing routine. And then you have a few drills spread out to help them. And that should be sufficient up to a certain point. That should take care of 90% of what catchers need to be really good at. Now for part two, this is going to be a two-part episode. Part two, we're going to answer, I'm going to quickly answer four questions questions that came from Coach Cosimo. Coach Cosimo, one of my original listeners, been with us a long time. So Coach Cosimo emailed me these and I wanted to get to him here on the air with you guys. There's four. Number one, getting to the kid who gives up right away. How do you motivate the kid who gives up right away? This is a kid, in my opinion, you got to build a relationship with. You got to get to know. This is a kid you want to talk to. This is a kid that's got other issues going on. Typically, something else is going on. Kids just don't quit right away unless they have some kind of other thing that's kind of a root reason and it just kind of manifests itself. It kind of comes out as a symptom out on the field. This is my experience. When you have a kid that quits right away, that's not normal. That's abnormal. Kids will get pissed. Kids will get upset. Kids will get frustrated. But those that quit right away, that's abnormal. Now, I'm not saying you won't have one every season, but it's definitely the small, small minority of players that just quit right away when they're not successful. To me, this is a kid. This is a player you want to go to quickly and build a relationship and get to the root of some of the things. Get them, get to know that that you care about them, give them some reason to play hard for you, and then try to build in some success into whatever drill it is. Try to build in a sense of initial success. That's why I love, and we just talked about this recently, the drill ratio, 20% of the drill, the first 20% of the drill is a little easier than the game. You want players to get a little bit of a rhythm. You want them to have a little sense of you know confidence, and then you move it up to game speed for the next 40%, and then the last 40% of the reps, the last 40% of the repetition 
repetitions of that drill. It's not an exact science, an exact number, but this is a ratio that's worked really good. I've tinkered with a lot of ratios with a lot of players and a lot of teams over the years. 20, 40, 40. That last 40 is going to be tougher than game-like reps. And so maybe for these, you bring it down just a little bit. But here's the thing. You don't want to coddle players that just give up right away. You don't want to just make it easier just because they gave up and you want them to have success. That's why it's so important to build the relationship with those players. Ask questions about them. See what's going on in their life. See why they quit, but also ask follow-up questions. This is the kind of player, this is the kind of situation when you get a kid or a player who just gives up right away. This is the kind of situation that's going to require multiple questions to get to the root. Your first question is typically not going to get you there. It may be four or five questions, follow-up questions. You dig a little, build some rapport. Also, make sure you praise that player. Give them praise in front of the whole team. Don't make it obvious and don't go out of your way to give that player a substantially higher amount of praise, but maybe you give them 5%, 10% more praise or maybe one extra compliment or one thing of praise more than you normally would for some of your other players. And maybe you don't give as many to your uber confident player, your all-star, and then you give him a little bit more on that side. You just got to be careful here because players can sniff out unevenness and unfairness. They can sniff it out in a second. They might not, they're not going to say anything to you, but they can sniff it out. Trust me on this one. 99% of things that kids see and sniff out and are aware of, they don't say to the coach. They don't bring up 99%, but they definitely are keeping track there. Some of those players are definitely keeping track. They're keeping score. Question number two, what do you do with a kid who can only play one position? Try to get him to play other positions. Try to find a position that works well for him. Put him out there. See what happens. Have him out there in intra-squad scrimmages. Have him play in other positions. You never know. Maybe your best catcher is somebody you don't think is a catcher. Or do you have a player with a really strong arm that you've never thought about pitching before? Use him as a pitcher. The kid that can only play one position when they're young, you try your best during practice to get him into a lot of different spots. You can also pinch run them, pinch hit them, and sell them on the importance of them pinch hitting or on them pinch running. So if you have a kid, a player that can't play more than one position or just hasn't, you haven't seen him be successful with more than one position, try another position that might best fit their skill set. Good arm, maybe put them as a pitcher. Fast, maybe put them as an outfielder. And I personally think it's a good idea to give almost every player a shot at catching because you just never know who's going to have that grit, who's going to have that ability behind the plate that may not stand out out there at shortstop or second base or out in the outfield. You may even recommend that that kid, if they can afford it, go and find a coach that may help them specialize or I should say get better at a specific individual position. So say you have a player that's a first baseman, send them to a catching coach, see if you can go get catching lessons and see how that comes about. That's one example of how to be creative with the kid that can only play one position. Remember, there's no perfect answer in this. And in life, there's usually no perfect answer for any of this. They're just playing the percentages, play the percentages, get the odds as best you can in your player's favor, your team's favor. Next question, who sits with a 12-man roster? Well, if you can get a DH in there, that's great. And then you got 10 guys and only two guys sitting. Definitely want to rotate them. Does it have to be equal? I think that's not a bad idea, but maybe you can do it different ways. Maybe when you play the better teams, the teams you think are better, and just don't say anything to your team about this. Just keep it to yourself. We don't need to be as coaches explaining everything to our players. We need to do what's best for our team and they need to trust you. I do think you need to explain the why. A lot of times I think there's a you can definitely sell what you're doing with your players 
first, you need to have buy-in. Everybody talks about player buy-in, getting buy-in, but they never really talk about, I don't hear it in the coaching community much about selling. I hear buy-in, you got to get buy-in. Well, if you're going to get buy-in, you got to sell and you're selling them team culture. You're selling them to be a part of the team. You're selling them to hustle and what it's going to mean for their life. You're going to sell them dealing with failure, selling them on a drill that's going to get them better. You're going to sell them on doing this X, Y, and Z to get their career moved forward. And and you're going to sell them on this, that, and the other to get them prepared and ready for the game. You're going to get them to buy in by connecting what you're doing with future success. So with the 12-man roster, what you can do is there's a lot of different ways to work around this, but I think one way is have your players that aren't as effective, that aren't producing as much. Maybe their stats show you that they're not producing as much, or maybe their ERA isn't as good, or maybe they're a little bit more of a liability on defense and use those players when you play the teams that are a little bit lesser in terms of competition. Now, don't make this a big deal. Just when you play the teams that are last place or second to last place, maybe that's where you let some of your players that don't normally play, let them play the entire game or let them get a bulk of the innings. And when you play the team that's in first place, maybe you ride your better arms, your better catcher, your better middle infielders, your better players, more of the game. These are some examples, but you can see where I'm going with the creativity. Planning, being creative definitely is going to give you a huge competitive advantage. Now, some may make the argument and say, coach, well, I'd rather play my best players against the teams that aren't as good because then I know we're definitely going to win. My take on that is you don't want your players that aren't having as much success. See, success breeds success. And when a player's out there failing and definitely going to probably fail a little more often at the plate, and they're probably going to have a few more balls hit a little harder at them on defense when you're playing the better players, the better teams. So I think getting some success, if you know you're facing a pitcher that's not that good, maybe you're facing a team that's really good, but they're throwing like their fourth best pitcher. That might be an opportunity to get some of your hitters in there that haven't had as much success, especially if the velocity of the pitcher is slower, something that they can catch up with. Some really good teams have some very soft tossers. They have some pitchers that throw slower. They're a really good team, but they have a pitcher, maybe a lefty, somebody that throws slower than normal. That would be a good opportunity to get somebody in the game that's not producing as much offensively, even though you're playing a good team. So a little bit of planning ahead can definitely work this into your favor a little bit more. Again, you're playing the percentages. It's nothing's a slam dunk. Question number four, signs, when and how to use them. I'm not a big fan of signs. In fact, I may have a whole episode dedicated to this where I think coaches have a plethora of signs because they want to feel like they're in control of the whole game. And at the end of the day, the players are what's going to drive the results, the players' production. And that production is influenced by the coaches during practice, during scrimmages, during training time, during meetings. That is when the coach influences, not their strategies. If you want to be a strategy coach, if you want to be somebody who's an ex and O's coach. Go coach football. Go coach football. Don't coach basketball. Definitely don't coach soccer and don't coach baseball. If you want to be a coach that wants to outsmart the opponent, that wants to outsmart the other coach, go coach football. That's your sport. And that's only going to get you so far. Look at Mike Leach. Super bright when it comes to the X's and O's, but there's little, there's gaps in his game. There's holes in his coaching game. And that's why eventually some of those X's and O's, those cute strategies get run over. So when it comes to signs, I think you should have a very small amount. And I'm going to dig into this a little further with you next week on 
episode 56. We'll talk about signs. I'll give you some strategies. I'm going to give you one strategy in episode 56 that will absolutely 5 or 10x your team, your player's ability to remember the signs and know the signs come game time, but actually not take much time out of your practice, not take a lot of time away from your physical training. So make sure you're here next week, episode 56, and I'm going to share with you my number one strategy to get your team better at remembering the signs and knowing the signs without spending a whole lot of time. We're going to talk about batching it and mass repping the signs while you as the coach know exactly which players do not know them and which players do and what percentage of players, I should say, and what percent of the time each player knows your signs. So to finish it up, we'll break that down next week about the signs. I just think you should have less. Obviously, I know you got to have decoy signs, so you can't just use signs whenever you need them because the other team's going to pick up on that. They know every time you throw out a sign, then something's on. You have to have a lot of decoy signs. I get that. But in my opinion, as an offensive coach, you don't need to have a decoy sign every single pitch, but you need to have enough decoy signs that throws off the scent of the other coaches and the other team. So they're not on to you, right? All right, coaches, players, parents, this has been Coach Bo with the 8020 Baseball Podcast. Email me your questions that you'd like answered on the podcast. Reach out, email me, coachbo at 8020baseball.com or follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. So you can email me the questions. You can send them to me on Twitter. Leave a review. That would be awesome if you left a review or a rating for this podcast. That'd be great. Really appreciate that. And you can support the podcast in the link that's attached to the show notes. You guys are awesome. I look forward to being back here next Tuesday for episode 56. Until then, take care of your health, take care of your family, take what we've learned here and go make the baseball community a better place, the baseball world a better place. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye. This has been the 8020 Baseball Experience. This is a really good team, and so you have to earn everything you have against them and take opportunities when they present themselves. Take it to the field. 